are you, Bobby? Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. Welcome back to Blake's Takes, everyone, live from the new studio. Yes, sir. That's right. We are back in the new studio. So we, before we start this review of Barbenheimer, a fantastic weekend, by the way, welcome to the new studio. We've been waiting for this for a while. Yeah, the uh, old place was definitely getting a bit crammed. Yeah, it was getting crammed. And, you know, now we can just sit in our chairs. Dude, and we're just relaxing, relax yeah. chilling now. Now we can just, like, actually talk. This feels like an actual podcast. I know, right? <laughs> we got the microphones, know, yeah. we got the chairs, mm-hmm. got the table. This whole new setup. Damn, all thanks to me. Good job. Thank you, thank you. Actually, my girlfriend Summer helped design... Some of these shelving placements as well, too. Decorate. Decorate. That's right. Got the <laughs> decoration. Got the catty-cornered shelf. If you're watching this on the video, if you're watching, hearing this on the podcast, sorry you can't see it, but go check out our Instagram posts. If you haven't seen the new studio yet, you'll be able to see this on the YouTube video as well and TikTok. But, damn, bro, we got the helmet stands. We got the posters. Got more posters behind me. Shelves. Like, we really can go all out now. Yeah. Nah, it's not just like whatever we could fit uh-huh. in that little frame behind us. Yeah. yeah. We got the VHS shelf on the back. I need to go grab some VHSs from uh, mom and dad's place because I got a lot no, there. No, I know. Yeah. We got Scooby-Doo and uh-huh. stuff we got, too. Yeah, yeah, Scooby-Doo, Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. like Inspector Gadget. Uh-huh. So I need to go grab those VHSs. We have Jurassic Park on VHS. Do we really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's throwing it back. Yeah. That is throwing it back. So, Yeah. We are very excited to just pump out some fucking content for y'all because we had, what was our last recording? Us together. Us together? It was like a month ago. Dude, it was. Literally like a month ago. It was like before our vacation Mm -hmm. and then we were moving. Moving. And then you had to set up the studio. Like it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. So it was a little break from Blake's takes. But content's coming for y'all. Don't you worry. We're about to pump some shit out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what better way to start this new studio than a recording about Barbenheimer. Right? Dude, like one of the best opening nights ever. That one of the best had. opening weekends. Yeah, like, opening honestly, weekends. This is the most excited I've been going to the movie theaters since probably Avengers Endgame. Like I was most excited about this weekend probably since Avengers Endgame. Only not... I think you were more excited yeah. about seeing other people excited was. to go to the theater. I was because everyone was excited about something that wasn't a big franchise. I mean, wasn't, you know, Marvel or, yeah. or Star Wars or DC. It was like, original movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're solo movies. Mm. You got Oppenheimer about the fucking the creation, the atomic bomb, a three-hour yeah. Christopher Nolan movie. It, I find it hilarious that these movies that could not be more opposite yeah. from each other uh-huh. released on the same day. <laughs> and I think they both benefited from that. I think so, too. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just happy to see, like, so many people go to the theaters dressed up in pink, dressed up for Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. and just something, yeah, that wasn't Marvel or, or you know, all comic book. I don't no, know. Like, it was obviously, refreshing. it was refreshing because obviously yeah. we love those movies, but I'm like, 
this is this is why the theaters exist right here. For real. So yeah, a little bit more about Barbenheimer. So Barbenheimer, fourth biggest box office weekend in history domestically. Damn. Only, yeah, only behind Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Shit. So that's, bro. That's crazy. That's crazy. Domestically, Barbie grossed $155 million. Uh, Oppenheimer, $80 million. Worldwide, opening weekends, Barbie, $337 million. And Oppenheimer, $175 million. Now, Barbie had a $145 million budget, and Oppenheimer, a $100 million budget. So they're, yeah, they're already they're making Gucci. their money back. They're going to be Gucci. Yeah. Like, and I mean, that's just fantastic to see. Now, we did see Oppenheimer first, uh-huh. but because it is Barbenheimer, we're going to talk about Barbie first. Yeah. Uh, we have our Barbie fits on right now. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to switch to our Oppenheimer fits once we get there. But I mean, it's better to start on something light, cheerful, colorful. Yeah. And then we'll end on the depressing honestly i think you might have that backwards sometimes it's nice to end on the happy note but whatever i don't know i kind of like ending on a sad note because then you get to ponder for the rest of the night about life okay, <laughs> weirdo although barbie did have those themes as well yeah i kind of did uh-huh. like honestly like towards the end there was like you know existential crisis right, yeah. type shit yeah. going on mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. oh i got a list here too of the highest grossing opening weekends domestically of 2023 so number one is barbie number two Super Mario Bros, 146 million. Mm-hmm. Damn it. And Mario Bros grossed over a billion. Now, I don't think Barbie will get to what Super Mario Bros finished. No. But it's still damn good. Three, Across the Spider Verse, 120 million uh, for its domestic opening weekend. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, 118 million. Five, Ant Man 3, which kind of shocked me, at 106 million because that had a terrible end of the run. Yeah. Um, no, honestly, I. I think everybody was like very hyped for that movie, but yeah. it didn't pan out did how not. we thought. So I feel like once people like heard about that, they were like, okay, mm-hmm. let's not go see it. <laughs> yeah. Number six, The Little Mermaid at 95.6 million. Number seven, Oppenheimer. Jesus, Little Mermaid be Oppenheimer? Well, I mean, is there still I time mean, or? No, these, these are opening weekends. Oh, well, Jesus. I mean, you would think Little Mermaid would be at the damn near top. Well, if it, Little was, Mermaid. if it was made well, then yeah, it would have well, been. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's why it's like great to see, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer do so well at the box office. So yeah, Oppenheimer, you had 80, 82 million. John Wick, four at number eight, 73.8 million. Nine, Fast X, 67 million. And 10, Transformers, Rise of the Beast. I think that's what it was called. Yeah. At 61 million. So those were the top 10 opening weekends at the box office domestically for 2023. At the very top, Barbie. So let's start it out. Let's start, start it off. Initial thoughts? I'm kind of curious because I don't really know your initial thoughts yet. You know, if I look at it as just like a casual moviegoer, uh-huh. I I liked it. Like I thought it was I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was very self aware of what they were doing. Like it wasn't taking itself too seriously or anything like that. Right. Um. Obviously, like star of the show for me was Ryan Gosling. He every scene he he was in was just hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Um. But then, yeah, if you give it a closer look and you start thinking about how political <laughs> and progressive this movie got, I can see where people are annoyed with it. See, but here's the thing. I kind of knew, like, I expected that going into well, it. I mean, yeah, if you knew anything about this movie, it's, right. a, it's a feminist director. Like, it's right. every, like, everything that could be, you know, progressive about this movie was. Right. So, but see, expecting that going into it, I was like, you know what, I'll just, like, 
dive into it then yeah. fully and just have fun with I'll it. I'll just go with the flow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I wasn't going to, you know, raise a question at every single thing I saw on there. Right. Cause if you do that, then yeah, you're going to hate it. Right. Cause like, yeah, I'm, I'm a young male going to see Barbie. Like, yeah, obviously I mean, the original target target audience isn't me. No, it's not. But I do like that. A lot of guys are going out to see this movie. Yeah. And I thought, but I thought it was very funny. Like, um, it's of how overdone everything was. Yeah. Like, they just made every single guy out to just be like the biggest fucking idiot. Yeah. 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 yeah no, Dude, like you saw the court, <laughs> the corporate dudes with Will Ferrell and everything. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. they were, they were all dumb. They were all sheep, like just following whatever Will Ferrell did. Um, I mean, all, the goal of this movie definitely was to make men look dumb. Yeah. And make men look bad. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, Ryan Gosling stole the show for me. No, he did. I, obviously, Margot Robbie was going to be perfect as Barbie. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how could she not? She looks like a Barbie. Also, I, I just want to mention, I freaking love Margot Robbie's like ability to just like start crying on a Dude, dime. She's so good. The at one it. tear. Yeah. You know what's funny is I wrote a note in the movie theater as I was watching about uh-huh. Margot Robbie's one tear. Like she's so fucking good at that. She is very good. Like her crying in and I, Tanya, her one tear thing in Babylon. Yeah, no, but it was yeah. Babylon. Like yeah. that's cause uh-huh. that was like what got her, you know, her fame in Babylon yeah. was like her ability to just switch it like yeah, that. Her character. Yeah. Her uh-huh. character in that movie. And I was like, damn bro, there she is using yep. that skill again. I was like, yep. I was again, very impressed with Margot Robbie's very good ability at, to yeah. do that. She's very good at flipping on that crying. Mm-hmm. I mean, fucking stacked cast, stacked cast for both of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> for, I mean, just standouts for the Barbies. Obviously, you got Margot Robbie. She was like stereotypical Barbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate McKinnon, weird Barbie. Yeah. She was funny. She was funny. I liked her. Uh, Issa Rae as President Barbie, which we know she was also uh, the voice in, uh, voice in Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Oh, yeah. She's the, uh, the pregnant Spider Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's had a bit busy year. Dua Lipa, Mermaid Barbie. You could even say the Kens are even more like stacked than the Barbies that we had. Yeah. Ryan Gosling as Ken. Uh Simu Lu as Ken. Um Michael Sarah. Michael Well, as he's Alan. Alan. He's Alan. <laughs> John Cena as Ken made. Uh you got fucking Scott Evans. Uh Kingsley Benadir, which he's um he's in uh Secret Invasion. He's the main antagonist in Secret Invasion. I haven't seen Secret Invasion yet. Oh, I mean, to be fair, I've only seen like two episodes, but, oh, okay. <laughs> but no, he, he's a main antagonist in Secret Invasion. And it's funny because even though he's a Ken and Barbie, he has like a glow up to Secret Invasion. He looks like, I'm just going to say it. He looks hotter in Secret Invasion than he does <laughs> in Barbie, which is weird because he plays a Ken in Barbie. Yeah. Michael Sarah was a treat too. Dude, he was like, yeah, his presence was so small, but it was mm-hmm. hilarious. But his moments were hilarious. It was. No, Ryan Gosling easily stole the show to me, bro. He's funny as fuck. He is funny. I feel like his his comedic timing is underrated. His like his dry sense of humor, uh, I think is very underrated. Uh, he's got a great catalog of films between Barbie, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, um, La La Land. Yeah, your freaking favorite. Yeah, uh, Drive. Um, even Crazy Stupid Love. Like you go down the list. Ryan Gosling has Yeah, but he always play, he catalog. normally always played like that romantic lead uh, in like a romantic comedy. Oh my comedy god, yeah, I forgot the notebook. Yeah, Jesus Christ. The notebook. You know, some people were complaining that he was too old to play Ken. See, but okay, that seems dumb to me because well, okay, well how old is he honestly? I don't even know. I think he's like 42. Okay. See, but the whole point of Barbie and Ken was for them to be like adults. 
Yeah. That was the whole point is like they weren't playing with like a kid. They felt like a grown up because they were playing with like a grown up toy. That was the point of it. They even showed that in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um. How They didn't want to play with baby dolls. So yeah. they were playing with a grown up. So yeah. what's wrong with that? And not to mention Ryan Gosling looks freaking amazing. He does. For his age. Are he you does. kidding me? He looked fine. He was jacked. He was jacked. No, he looked really good. I mean, then a few other cast members. Will Ferrell, CEO of Mattel. Yeah. I enjoyed him. I, I always like when Wolf Will Ferrell plays kind of like a douche, like not the so, not he wasn't so much a douche character, but like his title in the movie, like he was the CEO of a big company, yeah. so they made him out to be like a douchey man, yeah, or like you know an incompetent man. Uh, but I always kind of like when Will Ferrell plays more of the douchey character instead of like the pushback dad figure. Yeah, the yeah, just like the pushover kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, pushover. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What I'm looking for. Helen Mirren as a narrator, America Ferreira as Gloria, which she was the Mattel employee. It was like story was all about. Oh yeah, yeah, the mom. The mom. There was a lot of people a lot of people movie. in this movie. Let's start from the beginning, shall we? Mattel had been pursuing a Barbie movie since 2009. Seriously? Mhm. And they actually first had a deal with Universal Pictures to make a movie. Then in 2014, they teamed up with Sony Pictures. And in 2016, they were actually going to have um Amy Schumer entered negotiations to like star in the movie and like write it for them. <laughs> that, that was a lot of people's reaction. Yeah. Um, and like the initial plan for that movie, the initial plot for that movie would have been um, that Amy Schumer is casted out of Barbie land because her, her Barbie was too ugly. Barbie land. So I mean, that would have made sense. I guess. For, it would have been a little weird. It would have been weird. And yeah. I feel like that would have started a lot of controversy, even more controversy than this one starting. Well, I don't think you can have a movie because that was back in 2016 when they were talking about doing that plan. Yeah. I don't think you could do that plot in 2023. No. Like, oh, you're focusing on a girl being too ugly. Yeah. Shame on you. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen. So then Amy Schumer left the project uh, due to scheduling conflicts. But years later, revealed that it was mainly due to uh, creative differences. Then around 2017, 2018, Anne Hathaway was in consideration to playing Barbie. Hmm. Which I I think that could work, but I don't think Anne Hathaway has that same like charisma as Margot Robbie. No, I thought Margot... Honestly, casting for this, I thought was good. It was. It was. I mean... I, how could you not do Marco Rob? They even yeah, made a, like, they even made a comment about that in the movie. Yeah, I know. So then in October 2018, Sony Pictures option expires. Yeah. That's done. So then they go to Warner Brothers in 2019. And in 2019 is when we find out that Margot Robbie will be playing Barbie and Greta Gerwig will be co-writing the screenplay and directing it. Which actually, Greta Gerwig, uh, for Barbie, that was actually the biggest opening ever for a female director. And believe it or not, biggest opening ever for Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Kind of shocking considering the big movies that they've been a part of. Yeah. Or yeah. And especially Margot Robbie too, being playing, being Harley Quinn. Uh Uh-huh. But Barbie, man, biggest opening weekend for either of them. Damn. One thing that was probably nice too for Greta Gerwig is that they had full creative control of the screenplay, which I'd assume... Amy Schumer did not as well since that's one of the reasons why she left Creative Differences. But so they had full range of what they wanted to do uh, with this movie. And they're like, okay, well, now who's going to play Ken as well? Ryan Gosling was always the intention for Greta Gerwig. Mm -hmm. But 
Ryan Gosling said that he wanted to play the role of Ken after seeing one of his daughters, Ken doll, in the mud at his house in the backyard next to a squished lemon and saw a discarded soul whose story needed to be told. Because that's the thing. Everyone forgets about Ken. I mean, I guess. Or everyone yeah, disregards but, Ken. And that's kind of a, that's a theme that plays in the yeah, movie as it well. Is, but that, God, that's such a weird. I know, re- right? That's such a weird way to decide. Like, I want to be Ken for that purpose alone. I've but yeah, he did. Dude, he was getting like shit on the whole movie. Honestly. He was. He was. And that was the whole point. It was like, honestly, it was like. It was almost like a kid throwing a tantrum because, you know, he wasn't given enough attention. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the same time, you can't just like. It, completely ignore a person like they're gonna lose their mind eventually if you just keep throwing them to the side like that and especially when it's what i found very weird is like ken is literally the doll that was made for barbie Mm -hmm. and barbie wanted nothing to do with him yeah so let's dive into the plot now um there's a lot of pop culture references in this movie of where the plot goes yeah but you have barbie who's living in barbie land Everything's perfect there. Every day is fun. Everything is ran by women. And in their mind, they think that's how the real world is as well. That they have done so much for the women in the real world. And that they must be in charge and run things out there as well. Yeah. Um. And so somehow they are like connected telepathically or whatever. Yeah, with the people that play with yeah, them. Yeah, with the people that know. play with them. And so the person that was playing with Margot Robbie's Barbie stereotypical Barbie was having intrusive thoughts of death and had a overall depression. Yeah. Yeah, Overall. Yeah. Basically a depressed uh, person was playing with Margot Robbie's dog Barbie. So weird things were happening to her. You know, she wasn't her toast would come out burnt in the morning or her feet became flat. Yeah. Uh, Her shower was cold and she's like, well, what's going on? So she has to go see weird Barbie played by Kate McKinnon. Like you need to travel to real world. And find this person who's playing with you and fix things. This is where you get the Matrix reference. Also, did you know? And she had a pair of uh, high heels and uh, yes, Birkenstocks. And Birkenstocks. Did you notice at the end she was wearing Birkenstocks? Oh, was she? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so she has to go on the journey to the real world. And Ryan Gosling's Ken, who just desperately wants to be liked by her, just treated with respect, you know, just had to get her attention, decides to join her in this travel uh, hops in the back of the car without her knowing when they get to the real world, this real world. I think this is where the comedy like really starts to take off too. Yeah, no, it was like Ryan Gosling interacting with the real world was freaking hilarious to me. He was like, wow, people respect me here. Men took over and the patriarchy is the answer. (laughs) And he, for some reason was obsessed with horses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. But no, you're definitely right. When they do get to the real world, that's when the comedy starts to pick up, especially with Ryan Gosling, when he's like starting yeah. to figure out, you know, that men in general, you know, like kind of run the real world. And he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Men get treated with respect here. And I'm not useless. I'm not just uh-huh. something for Barbie to throw away. And um, it just made him like feel empowered. Yeah. Like he'd never yeah. felt before. And he kind of Me- takes that thinking back to Barbie land. Mm-hmm. So and meanwhile, Barbie, on the other hand, uh-huh. She's getting the exact opposite. Yeah. She's feeling objectified. She's uh not liking how things are ran. And she just like thinks that, you know, all this feminist uh ideology is everywhere. Yeah. Because that's where it is, that's how it is in Barbie Land. And um 
only to realize like she thought she found the girl that was playing with her doll and she just fucking rips her to shreds yeah and is like oh my god and, and is like you know barbie ruined this yeah, barbie like you're, you're everything that's wrong you're with women. Every, yeah you're everything that's wrong you uh represent capitalism of the an unrealistic body to it to a, achieve mm. um in real life and just totally destroys her which makes her cry for the first time so and honestly like you talked about how barbie was um when she woke up the next day and like her toast was burnt and everything like right. that, her shower was cold. Um, I think like as this movie goes on, she just becomes like more and more human. And that was like yeah. another experience, you know, getting torn apart by that girl is what also made her human, you know, crying. She's never cried before. Cause every, every day is right. always perfect in Barbie land. Um, and eventually we see that become a running theme in this as well, because at the end, what happens? She decides she doesn't want to be Barbie anymore. Uh-huh. She wants to become human. So that was a, that was a touching scene at the end too, when she does want to become human, and we see those uh foot the footage of you know those mothers and yeah, and apparently that was um like real footage of uh people working behind the scenes on the movies that Greta Gerwig wanted to use, like mm-hmm. you know, because they're a part of this film as well. I I figured something like right. that. I was like, if they're gonna get like footage of you know yeah mothers and daughters playing with each other that kind of thing yeah. like oh, should i phrase that differently <laughs> when, when i was uh, oh, whatever um, <laughs> no but i figured they would do something like that <laughs> stop laughing <laughs> but I, right. fi- I figured if they were going to do something like that they're going to have this footage of you know mothers and daughters you know with doing like quality bonding time and yeah. that kind of thing it's going to be something significant to the director yeah, or, yeah. you know, the people working on this film. So now there's a decent amount of like touching scenes. And I mean, for the most part, you know, I feel like this is a movie not to take too serious, but yeah, I, I mean, that's what makes this movie really weird is that it is a movie that you should not take too seriously at all. Yeah. But then again, it touches on serious topics at the same time. A lot of serious topics. Cause like, if you break it down, there are a lot of, um, you know, themes playing in the background of this uh, movie. Yeah, that are that are very political, and uh, I mean, yeah. can, and can cause like controversy and everything. So a, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a it pretty, is a feminist it is a very, film. It's a very political movie. <laughs> yeah, it is a very political movie. But you know, if you if you go in there and you're trying not to think about it, yeah, it can be enjoyable. But to be honest, I can't really see myself going back and like watching this movie again and again like it's to me this was just kind of to me this was just kind of like go see it and barbenheimer yeah see it for barbenheimer and see what i think well but i can see myself watching it again in theaters like if i were to go see this movie again i would want to go see it in theaters again with a bunch of people because you know this movie's gonna keep bringing in the audience and like i feel like it's more fun that way because then you're laughing with the audience and all you know you're not by yourself yeah I think this movie was definitely like more for the novelty of it than anything else. Like, and especially it's, it's hilarious to me how, you know, people just pick trends. Like, like like trends just happen on like TikTok and stuff. Like, I don't know. Like this was literally just a Barbie movie, but then somehow it turned into this gigantic deal. I don't know if it was the marketing. I don't know. But here's the thing. The marketing was pretty genius. Um, I'm still pissed that America didn't get the pink Barbie burger. And Brazil did. You see that? No. Yeah, Brazil had a pink Barbie burger. Damn. Man. And apparently, Barbie was like 
Brazil's highest grossing opening weekend for a movie. I'm like, yeah, they got the fucking Barbie burger. That's why. And is it like, did it get this much hype too? Because Oppenheimer was on the same day. Like literally Barbenheimer yeah. became a whole thing. Yeah. And you couldn't talk about Oppenheimer without talking no, about Barbie. No, it's like they both coexisted with each other and both profited from each other. Like obviously Barbie was going to win the box office. Yeah. It's not uh, rated R or anything rated, like yeah. that. Like uh, they're right there. That's on right, automatically right, gonna right. you know up the. I mean, and it's fucking Barbie. You got yeah. a movie about Barbie, and you got a movie about the creation the f- of the atomic bomb. The father of the atomic bomb. Yeah, like what do you think is gonna make more money? <laughs> yeah, probably Barbie. Probably. If Barbie. you're gonna go take your kid to go see a movie, yeah, probably gonna see Barbie. But I feel like this wasn't a very kiddie movie either. No, it wasn't. Like there was no, a lot like, of adult no, jokes. Like, yeah, no, and you know, like we said, political. Like yeah. this whole thing was political. Yeah. Which would obviously, if you're a kid watching this, would fly right over your head. Right, right. But I mean, thinking back now, too, there's a lot of movies that I saw as a kid where I go and watch them now. Yeah, all that shit flew over my head. Yeah. So it's like, at what age do kids start to understand that? When they start getting social media and learning what politics they, are. They get they have access to that at such a young age now. Yeah, but if you're like 12 with an iPhone, you don't really give a shit. I don't know, man. I mean, actually, no, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. these days, I yeah. don't know. Nah, you're right, you're right. I don't know. They know a I lot can, more shit. I can shit tell you, I wasn't concerned with politics at 12 years old. No, because we fucking, no. I, I mean, I had the internet and I had YouTube and stuff, 12 but years old, I bro, didn't care. I was just finding out how to look up porn for the first time. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't concerned about politics. So, yeah, that also brings up another interesting point since we want to stick with the politics of it. Barbie and Oppenheimer. Has to do with politics, really. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Oppenheimer, a very political movie, but a historically political movie. So yeah. you know, but yeah, that kind of brings up a point about the ending of this movie as well. The whole thing is like discovering yourself, going yeah. off on your own and discovering yourself. Yeah. Now, Ken was being independent, being independent. And, yeah. Ken was made for Barbie, literally. Yeah, and you know, you get two fine ass people like Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, but we don't get to see them do anything nope i mean not even a kiss not that's the reason for this movie but like we no. didn't even get a kiss nope not even a kiss man interesting very I mean, interesting but that was literally the point of the movie i know that was literally the point i feel like you don't find a lot of movies these days where characters are like no because it's because it's too cliche like yeah. it, and honestly it's kind of annoying like dude you you can for s- some reason there's something wrong with being any kind of traditional like being traditional is considered wrong now if you yeah. fo- if you follow what's been done in the past, you're doing something wrong for some reason. And it's, it feels like more and it feels more and more like every single movie where there's a female lead, it's the female doesn't need a man. Right. Like if that's 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 too much. Like you they can they can be happy on their own. They don't need mm. anybody. But if you got a male lead, yeah. Then they they want to have that I know. I, female I don't love it. interest like, in the end. Cuz like not only not only this in Barbie where the conclusion is literally Barbie telling Ken figure your own shit out. Yeah. And you know, she goes off and does her own thing, even though Ken was literally made for Barbie. That was the whatever. But not only that, do we have that in Barbie, but um, in the upcoming remake of was, Snow White, I was about to mention yeah, that in the upcoming remake of Snow White, it's Snow White and the seven dwarves. It's not seven dwarves. All, all the dwarves aren't even, they're not dwarves. There's one. Yeah, there's one. And, instead of and hiring, also, instead of hiring, you know, dwarves that could use the work and money, they were yeah, like, "Well, no, let's I just know. hire, yeah, seven, six other hippie adult looking 
Yeah. <laughs> Six and then, hippies. And then they're already going in the direction of Snow White doesn't need a man. No, no. Like, and they're going against like the whole, apparently the, you know, uh, the, the traditional. Uh, the, yeah. The, the unconsensual kiss right. that, you know, the prince bestows yeah. upon Snow White to wake her up, you know, because society will be damned if a woman needs to be saved by a prince these days. I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with I know having see, characters, you know, no, like it, like like it's fine it's, having characters fall in love. It's fine having characters going off to find themselves, but it's yeah. all got to gel with the movie. No, and it, it, you're right. And I think what bothers me the most is like it's just it's just all these original takes or yeah, original takes yeah. of characters that we already know and stories that we already know. It's like, is it a remake of Snow White or is it? Like why even right. why even call why it even Snow call White? it Snow White? Just make an ori- if that's the direction you want to go, just make an original movie. You're literally just using the name mm-hmm. of this original story that we already know to get people into the theater, right? And then little do you know, they're gonna be fucking deceived and disappointed, right? When because they're gonna go in expecting something else, and you're shoving other shit in their face. At that point, you could just make a whole. You could really make a whole different movie. You could make, you could an make an a whole original different movie. Thing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, you know, if you create, like, a good character, like, dude, we love, we love strong female characters. Yeah. Like, f- dude. like Fucking Ahsoka, my favorite. Ahsoka Tano is my favorite, like, one of my favorite Star Wars characters ever. One of my favorite, um, Beatrice Kiddo, the bride, in the yeah. Kill Bill movies. Dude, I'm Thurman. telling you, like, just create an original character yeah. and develop their character well. And as long as you do that. Yeah nobody's going to care. Nobody's no. going to get mad if if you create a character that somebody can get behind because you've already made that protagonist the villain mm-hmm. to everybody, to people that already love Snow White as she was. You just made her the villain. Well, at least Barbie makes a lot of money. I know we're talking about Disney right now. Disney's losing a shit ton of money. But, dude, Disney's fucking stupid. Disney's like actually dumb. Now that Indiana or Disney owns Lucasfilms, obviously, and Indiana yeah. Jones now, Indiana Jones fucking flopped hard at the box office yep hard like, yeah. i think barbie has already grossed more than indiana jones yeah that's crazy um i went and saw it i wasn't like the biggest fan of it it's just like it wasn't necessary i don't know what disney's plan is it seems like they don't even know i, I don't know i don't even think they know what their direction so. is i don't think so even bob Iger said they're gonna slow the roll on making marvel and star wars content like, yeah, you probably yeah, should because oh, now we're just uh, saturated. Yeah, it's uh, oversaturated. You got CGI artists that are working their fucking ass off and can't get shit done on time because you're giving them ridiculous quotas. And, uh, oh, yeah, maybe we should slow down because there's also a writer strike going on. That might affect something. And an actor strike now. And an actor strike. <laughs> so, yeah, that might have an effect on your yeah. production rate for Disney films and Marvel shit. All right, well, just a few other things that got to talk about. Yeah, let's get back to the movie. Back to the movie. <laughs> I want to get back on Ryan Gosling because um, we actually got to see him a lot more than I thought we would. Now, based off of the trailers, it was like unclear of how much we were going to see him. But then Mm -hmm. he left the real world um, like very shortly after he arrived and before Margot Robbie's character, too. And I'm like, shit, are we going to see much more of Ken? No, we actually see a lot more of him, which I was glad about. Honestly, I wasn't too worried when he left because when he was getting, I was, I wasn't because I knew when he got all that patriarchy stuff yeah. and he went back to Barbie land, yeah. he was like about to go spread the word on what the patriarchy <laughs> was. And, you know, and then we see Margot Robbie coming back 
uh, with the mother and daughter. Yeah. And she's like telling them, oh, it's amazing. You know, yeah. women are in charge, uh, all this, da, da, da. We've created, we have a perfect society. And every single word she said, I was like, he just went back with all this right. stuff. This is just gonna he just he just ruined everything, and she's hyping it up, and they're gonna, gonna be just totally conflict. disappointed. Yeah, it's gonna make for a great conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was great, but yeah, Barbie Land itself, amazing set design. Uh, production designer Sarah Greenwood, six time Oscar nominee actually, mm-hmm. and costume designer. Yeah, no, costume design and yeah. set design was very good. For costume this movie. designer uh, Jackie Noonan. Um, is a two-time Oscar winner as well. So they had a lot of talent behind the scenes working for them as well. Honestly, I'm sure they had a blast making oh this God. thing a reality. I'm sure. I mean, I saw somewhere that Ryan Gosling said it's been so hard to come down from the Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, as I could imagine. I mean, like, if I played Ken in the movie and had that much fun on set, uh, I'd want to relive that a lot too, <laughs> that feeling. Um, but yeah, set design was amazing. Hella pink. Yeah. Barbie's production Empty the company's worldwide supply of pink paint. They use so much pink paint that it wiped out an entire company's global supply of paint, of pink paint. According to the company that supplied the set designer, that's exactly what happened. Sarah Greenwood, the film's production designer, claimed that the film had caused an international shortage. Oh my God. Now, it's more complicated than that. Um, you know, she told the Architectural Digest magazine that the world ran out of pink. But however, that was also during 20. 20- 2022 pandemic was still going on and still jamming the global supply chain on a host of products and goods, including Roscoe's paint. That's still crazy. Yeah. Who was supplying the paint uh, to the set, but still crazy that they went through that much paint paint anyways. And it went to good use. I thought Barbie land looked. I just wanted to like be there. Yeah. Yeah. Be no. there and touch it everything. Cool. It was it was cool how like, you know, the beach like wasn't actually a beach. Uh-huh. Like everything uh-huh. just like looked like it was made of plastic. Yeah. And it was funny how none of the food was real. Uh-huh. Like they made it look like you were literally getting like like when when they would drink, nothing would be in the cup. Yeah. yeah. It was it was literally like kids were playing right. with the dolls. Right. And like and they even uh the narrator even mentioned something about how you know, you could just be put somewhere. Right. And so it was like there was an invisible hand picking her up and placing her down. Yeah. Even like the visual effects when they were in Barbie land looked very... Like the cartoon? Yeah, yeah, the yeah sparkles cartoon. And stuff. Almost yeah. like you were watching like a commercial. Yeah. But in the best way possible because any other movie, that would be terrible effects. But this was clearly done on purpose to have yeah. like that very dramatic, you know, commercial look to it. Um, no, I thought the effects and everything were yeah, very good really for well. this movie. And like even uh even the uh, car crash or like when she flips the car, like <laughs> yeah. I thought that was hilarious because what do you do when you're a kid and you're like over dramatizing, yeah. uh-huh. you know, like something like a car crash or something like that? You you just like drastically pick it up, whoa, yep. flip, land perfectly on yeah. all four wheels, and that's exactly what they did. Music, pretty good. Music was good. Music was good. Uh, the Ron- just the just Ken number. Just was- Ken. Speaking of that. That became Ryan Gosling's uh, biggest streaming day on Spotify uh, with nearly 1 million streams of I'm Just Ken. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the album nearly has 20 million Spotify streams already. But Jesus. I'm Just Ken. Is this the rival to Bowser's Peaches, 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 Peaches? Possible. What's better? Um, I mean, like... Music wise, I'm gonna say I'm, I'm just, just Ken, Ken is better. Okay, good, good, good. But That's I think I think P 
Peaches is going to remain on top. You think so? Yeah. I think because it's Jack Black and yeah. it's and it's Super Mario. It's a kids movie. And also, not to mention, it was like a huge well, trend on TikTok for a minute. It was. So, it was. did you see him when he performed it live at like uh, the Bowl or something in L.A.? Yeah. And he came out dressed as Bowser. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, but I do think I like. I'm just Ken better. Man, I think it's because I love Ryan Gosling. Yeah. But. And you love him in musicals, apparently. I do. That's right. La La Land. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I feel like both of those songs could be up for uh, nominations next year. Very possible. I feel like they could. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just Ken. I feel like there's a lot of Kens out there that just want to be seen. Okay. Dua Lipa, Dance the Night Away. Yeah. That was the second song, which she also played uh, Mermaid Barbie. There, there was a lot of talent overall, like from music to... From head to toe, from honestly, to toe, yeah. for this entire movie. So what do you think of how it ended, though? Like, and how they saved Barbie Land? Saving Barbie Land was weird. It was weird. I was like, okay, I was like, why... How did they get hypnotized or whatever? Like, how did that even happen? The patriarchy. The patriarchy <laughs> hypnotized them. Like, or brainwashed, as they put right, it. Yeah, yeah like... Yeah. Is what it, it's odd. I don't know. Like, uh, it, are they saying that's like in re, like in reality? Like, we've brainwashed women into you know thinking putting women down is a good thing, or like I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of women doing very successful things these days. There are like, <laughs> is, well, the what I thought was weird too was in order to unbrainwash them, uh. America Ferrer's character, they just, Ferreira's character had to give yeah, them a speech. They just spout like feminism in their right, face. Right, right. Which, I mean, I liked her character. However, I did think that speech was like. The, the really, original speech was yeah, I'm a like, bit I'm, much. It was a bit much. I'm like, I'm not really. I mean, I'm a guy. So I don't know what I'm supposed to feel during that speech. I don't know if women felt yeah. inspired during that speech. But I thought yeah. it was, I just couldn't. Get with it. No, I, and I, honestly, like, there were some truths to it, but right. then there were other parts where I thought they were extremely dramatic. Where, like, where they were saying, like, like, it's impossible to be a woman. I'm like, yeah, right, let's... Yeah, let's relax let's here. Down. And also, yeah, like, one one that I remember specifically was, um, you know, you're supposed to turn men away, but not hurt their ego or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Women hurt yeah, men's no, egos all no, the fucking time. I know, and that's that was my point. I'm like... Are you kidding me? You, there's so many women who fucking get off on, yes. on hurting men's egos. And like, like, you know, a guy decides to shoot his shot with a girl mm -hmm. and they just fucking laugh in his face. I'm like, since when has it been a rule that a woman is supposed to be so courteous when, oh, yeah. when um, declining a dude? That's especially, a, especially these days. Like, yeah, I, I that's, feel like that's every, never been a thing. I feel like every guy has been there in, you know, this day and age where. Yeah. They have just gotten either ghosted or curved by a woman. Exactly. And not to say guys don't do that too. We do. But I mean, more than ever these days, it goes both ways. No, for sure. Like, so that was one specific instance during that speech where I was like, that's a load of bullshit. That, <laughs> that almost not never Not to mention, happens. she's saying this at the same time of like, back home, it seems like she has a very caring and loving husband. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Well, I mean, I think like it's mainly her, about I, the corporate world. Yeah, I was about to say, like in her perspective, it's more like dealing with pe right. with men professionally, right. and stuff like that. But I don't know, man. Just so yeah, they they unbrainwash them, and to in order to get these women away from the Kens, yeah, they like uh, 
act like they don't know what they're doing with financial things or, you know, want to yeah, watch. They become helpless. Right. Or watch In the any Godfather. way possible. Yeah. yeah. Any way possible. Um, <laughs> I will say I, I did find it funny when all the Kens were, were um, singing the song around the campfires. Yeah. No, that was funny. And each woman switched around. Because like you do, I feel like you do have that. I'm going to use an example like as in like a, a frat house or something. And you have, you know, a sorority girl maybe going from guy to guy and like creating turmoil in the frat house. I feel like, you know, that was pretty kind of accurate of what would happen. Yeah. But then they have to vote. To the, change the constitution. To change the constitution. Yeah. Even though I'm it like, was never I'm, voted for in the first place for Kendom because they hadn't voted yet. Yeah. I That part was weird. It's like they're going to vote. They're going to vote. To change the constitution of Barbie Land, so it's mm-hmm. like all can. Yeah. Um. So to stop them from doing that, they get the Kens to fight each other to distract right. themselves from the vote. But I'm like, wait, have one? Haven't the Kens already like taken over? If they wanted to change the constitution, couldn't they literally just Done like it already. grab it and write it? Right. Like that. That part was weird. And then also pretty sure the barbies outnumber the kens so if the barbies oh, were yeah if the barbies were allowed to vote their majority they would have won yeah so the ending gets a little it, it was it was hectic it, it was, was hectic it didn't totally make it was definitely sense. like plot holes yeah. um but again it goes back to at the end of the day it's like how serious do you really want to take this movie no I, exactly and that's why that's again why i'm not you know, throwing a fit right. about this movie. Right. I think it was very, like I said, I think it was very self-aware yeah. of what kind of movie it was. And you just cannot take it too seriously, no. even though I think the director wants you to take it more seriously. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Cause there's very serious undertones and yeah, things. They're in very it. serious undertones, very serious. But, but they're so over dramatized. Like it's literally yeah. laughable, right? It's laughable. So I guess at the end of the day, it's, very subjective. It, yeah. And honestly, to me, like the political points that they made were just, yeah, they were just so over the top that I thought it was funny. And then I thought Ryan Gosling's, um, you know, comedic timing was funny on top of that. Uh-huh. So overall, it was just like a straight up comedy to me. Overall, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I went in just excited for the Barbenheimer experience. So I was just happy to complete this journey. I was happy to be at the theaters. This weekend because you don't get many weekends like this at the theaters anymore. I feel like yeah, it was just a good time. I gave it four stars. You gave it four. I, yeah, I mean, again, maybe I have to rewatch it, see where I feel after that. But as of now, I gave it four stars. I'm like, you know what? I was just kind of smiling the whole time, having fun. I laughed yeah. my ass off, and I feel like you know, comedies already get you know underappreciated or a little too harshly uh, rated. So yeah, I liked it, and also. Ryan Gosling was amazing. Yeah, like honestly, like Ryan Gosling alone like makes me want to just like give it a five. Well, well, between, <laughs> I'll give it like a five. Oh, oh wait, you said four I said star- four oh, you, stars. Oh, my, my bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, for a second I thought you meant like four out of ten. I was like, what? No, you always do stars. It's that's the, how you do it. The ten, box, baby. the ten system is easier. Oh to me. no, no, four stars. Yeah, I know. I feel like you're but, feeling a three to three and a half stars on this. Yeah, I might go a little lower. Um, you like the 10 rating. I mean, to be honest though, like I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like I would give it, I would give it like a seven, which is seven out of 10. Yeah. So that's three and a half, right? Three, yeah, yeah. Three and a half. Yeah. That sounds right. Three and a half. It yeah. is. No, it is right. Okay. 
But yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed this movie too. And, you know, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, between between them two alone, yeah. like I'll give it a three and I'll give it three and a half stars. Okay. So just a fun, fun movie. Don't take it too seriously. No, even though they want you to. But <laughs> yeah. If you're, you, if you, you, you're, just, you just can't let politics upset you too much. Right, right. And if you're a guy, just just expect going into it and taking shots. Yeah, like know? exactly. Just expect to take the heat. Yeah, they're like they're, they they shit on men the right. whole time. That's like the premise of this entire movie. But now, time to go down the darker road. Time for Oppenheimer. In order to do that, we got to be properly dressed. So three, two, one. Time for Oppenheimer. Yes, sir. We are dressed to the nine, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And this is how we dressed in theaters too. Well, I didn't have the hat. Yeah, yeah, you, you did. You, you had a little more, but yeah, uh huh. I was looking pretty clean that you know, day. Yeah, we wanted to look fresh for Oppenheimer and Barbie. You know, this. Yeah. If you're gonna dress up at the movie theaters, this was a weekend to do it. Yeah, and you know what? People shouldn't just be wearing pink for Barbie. Yeah. You know, Oppenheimer needs some love too. It does. So just dress like you're from the 1930s, and <laughs> you're good. 1940s, technically. Oh, both actually. Yeah, it's both. both. It's both. Goes over even even the 1920s, bro, because it like shows him yeah. early in his life. Yeah, I think it goes over like four decades, maybe total. Yeah, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Invention yeah. of the bomb in the 40s. All right. So honestly, I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a little more excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, me too. Oppenheimer, sure. baby. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's 12th movie. Um, sixth collaboration with Killian Murphy, but he's never played the lead role. That's so interesting to me because he's such a good actor too. Yeah. Well, in the Christopher Nolan, this is the first time he's been the lead role for a Christopher Nolan movie. But yeah, because he was in Batman Begins, Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. Inception, Dunkirk. And he was in the Dark Knight for like a smidge. Remember oh, he was, was in the he? beginning? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But uh, man, goddamn, we really get a lot of time with Killian Murphy. Yeah, we do, dude. Jesus this is Christ, dude. He has so much screen time. This is a Killian. Movie, yeah, it is, and uh, I think I think this is time for him to uh get an Oscar. I think so, too. I think so because, bro, man's been a part of so many good projects, yeah. uh-huh. and I feel like now he's finally gonna get the recognition that he deserves. I mean, he, because, was, he was getting it a lot with Peaky Blinders, but again, that's Netflix, so yeah, it's like it's still no, a TV show, it, you can only go so far with a TV show, right? So now, especially with Barbenheimer being a thing, yeah. and like you know, everybody hyping it up as much as they have been. I think this is like a turning point it's for, shine, for Killian Murphy. I know. There's always that one film that is like defines someone's movie career, mm-hmm. like as an actor. Yeah. And that's definitely this for Killian Murphy. For sure. I mean, what's great too about Oppenheimer, and, and first of all, is just crushing the box office. Globally, is already passed $175 million on a $100 million budget mm-hmm. of a three-hour movie about the fucking atomic bomb. Yeah. Even the bro, the bro. fact that it's a three-hour movie, yeah, and it's getting this many ticket sales, yeah, 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 is already crazy. It's amazing. Plus, I mean, you got the uh, plus you got the IMAX ticket sales helping as well, mm-hmm. as those are more expensive. But and but people want to pay yes. for that, especially for this movie because yes. the sound effects are just as important, just as important as the visual effects mm-hmm. for this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think and and the peak way to see this movie is seventy millimeter IMAX. However, there's only like. 20 theaters in the United States that have a true 70 millimeter IMAX. Like the theater that we went to, yeah. it has 70 millimeter, but it's not IMAX as well. So 
I kind of want to see it again because we saw it in IMAX. Yeah. Which absolutely fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also kind of want to see it in 70 millimeter at the theater that we're at just to like see the differences visually. Yeah. Um, but to get best of both worlds, there's only like 20 theaters in the whole United States to to get that experience. That's crazy. Yeah. But this was actually all filmed in IMAX. And it's his only film. Obviously, Christopher Nolan loves a film in IMAX. But yeah. this is his only one that's filmed all in IMAX. His other films, you know, they were like 80% IMAX here and there. Yeah. But all IMAX for this one. I mean, obviously, it's working for him, so. It is working. What I was getting to as well is what's crazy, too, with how much money it's making is like, I don't think much money went into marketing this movie as well. No. Like, it had its typical um, It would appear occasionally. Tour. Yeah, right, it would right. appear occasionally on my TikTok screen. That right. was about as much well, as I saw. You had, you know, the actors and Christopher Nolan, like, do the usual uh, press tour and do mm-hmm. interviews and all that stuff. But there wasn't really that much like marketing. Like I remember seeing the trailer for the first time in theaters last year. Yeah. Literally was just shots of Killian Murphy, an explosion, uh, the radiation sound. And it just said seven, 21, 23 Oppenheimer. And everyone was like, I'm fucking in. Yeah. What? Let's go. Dude. I remember we saw that like a year ago yeah. and I put it on my movies list. Yeah. And I can finally yeah. check it off now. Yeah. But like other than that, not really any marketing. Like, you didn't see too many commercials. There wasn't that many trailers. Obviously, you know, this no. isn't really a type of movie that, you know, you market through other companies. Like, and, and it just shows you, like, what a great resume can make you. Like, everyone knows Christopher Nolan's resume no. is impeccable. I know. I th- Like, literally, all they needed was Christopher Nolan. Yep. Killian Murphy. Yep. It's about the atomic bomb. Go watch it. And the fact that you know... Christopher Nolan sticks with the practical effects. Yes. And not CGI. Yes. You knew it was going to be good. <laughs> You're like, you knew it. Yeah. And there is no CGI in this movie. Uh-uh. No, oh he, bro, man, hates CGI. Yeah. Hates it. He also hates streaming. As really? He, yeah. He prefers the, um, as I'm sure most directors do, but he prefers, you know, d- DVD, copies, yeah. uh, Blu-ray. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I kind of, I respect anybody who has like copies. a hard physical yes. copy collection. Right. Of because um, he was saying how, with you know blu-rays and physical copies they can control everything that goes into it Mm -hmm. as to where streaming it gets a little dicey you can't really control the colors and all that so there's obviously some form of compression yeah no and uh, dude i mean we can vouch for that dude do you Uh remember like when we would play a blu-ray disc yeah compared to streaming it yeah the visuals are just like i know so much better i know honestly i i really would like to start Collecting physical copies. Uh-huh. It's just, I don't got the money for that, man. Dude, I know. Honestly, it I'm, takes time I, to build dude, up. I'm respecting like uh our friend Jaden from work yeah. right now. Uh-huh. Dude, he he'll like every shift after yeah. work, he'll go to Best Buy and get a movie. Really? Yeah. Like he just sees what they have and he's like, He's got, got a plan. It. Got it. He's a man with a plan. Dude, he is and it'll build up. I, I he's give young him too. No, I give him props. Yeah. I I mean I can I can bet he's already got a decent little collection going on. I know, right? So the development of this movie obviously this movie is a biopic christopher nolan's first biopic uh off the 2005 public publication of the biography american prometheus which is about father of the atomic bomb Mm. j robert oppenheimer yeah by 2015 j david wargo who owned the film rights to the book went through various scripts with intent on a film adaptation wargo later flew to hollywood and met james wood i think it's kind of funny (laughs) james woods James Woods, yeah, um, who had also set up a meeting 
with Charles Robin, who had previously worked as a producer on various uh, films of Christopher Nolan. So fast forward to 2019. I don't know if you know this, but Robert Pattinson helped create yeah, this film. No, I, uh-huh. I, I, I heard you this. Saw that? I heard this story. Yeah. Uh-huh. So towards the ending of filming of Tenet, mm-hmm. Chris, um, Robert Pattinson gifted Christopher Nolan a book containing Oppenheimer's speeches as like a rap gift. Mm-hmm. And uh, he felt as Tenet's main idea was what if you could uninvent an awful technology? What if the toothpaste could be put back in the tube? Making the film would have been a logical extension and had also been uh, fascinated with the idea of exploring, you know, the historical reality of the situation. And then we get Oppenheimer. That's that's crazy, bro. Honestly, it's such a crazy butterfly effect of like how things come to be in Hollywood. Batman helped created Oppenheimer. Yeah. And freaking what's even more hilarious uh, I mean, just another coincidence, you know, Batman gave it to the director of Batman mm-hmm. to make this movie. Not to mention you have Kelly Murphy, who starred in a Batman film, and you have Margot Robbie, who starred in Barbie, who is also another DC villain psychiatrist. Just a lot of interconnected parts there here, I feel like. The highest grossing weekend, both films led by DC villain psychiatrist. It's Kelly Murphy's Scarecrow mm-hmm. and Margot Robbie's uh, Harley Quinn. Yeah, man. Kind of weird. This was also uh, Christopher Nolan's first film outside, not distributed by Warner Brothers. So, uh, Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Dang. So after Memento, uh, every film that he made uh, was produced and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And during 2021, when Warner Brothers decided that uh, every film that was being made was going to simultaneously be put onto streaming services for yeah. HBO Max. He doesn't like that. He fucking hated that. Yep. I'm done with this shit, man. Yep. And no, that was honestly that was a good move by Nolan because, yeah, what that no, it's fucking stupid. Stupid. I it, mean, it totally takes away the motivation to go see it in theaters, especially his movies. Yeah, and his movies yes. especially because he honestly, I feel like him and Tom Cruise, I feel like have that in yeah. in common mm-hmm. is you know they want their movies to be seen in theaters. They yeah. are meant to be seen in theaters yeah. with that proper sound system, so you get the full effect. Visuals and, yeah, as well. No, I'm sure the second he heard that from Warner yeah. Brothers, he was like fuck you, I'm out of here. Right, that's like the whole purpose of his movies. Yeah. You know, the whole reason for filming an IMAX, you can't get no, that streaming bro, it. it would be a disgrace to watch that on your home TV, and especially if you don't have a sound system, it just like off the TV speaker, right. that'd, be, that'd be a shame. That's fucked up, man. That's so messed up. So he said, I'm done here. Universal said, okay, we'll make your movie. Mm-hmm. And it's paying off. Oh, I'm sure. It's paying off. Um, I uh, I bet Universal is very happy with that decision. <laughs> yeah, and one thing that's kind of crazy too, because obviously a lot of this movie is in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order for the black and white sections of the movie to be shot in the same quality as yeah. the rest of the film, Kodak developed the first ever black and white film stock for IMAX. That's pretty cool. Another cool thing, you know, this is what Christopher Nolan—he's an innovator, like—and the people that he surrounds himself with, like, they're all about progressing films yeah and i mean clearly each film that he puts out pays off and we're just like in awe by them and i always found that so interesting how like there are some directors out there who like they won't make their movie until the technology exists to create the vision that they want to do that's pretty fucking crazy right yeah dude talk about fucking dedication Mm -hmm. 
Talk about patience. Yeah. I don't think I could be that patient, man. I couldn't either. Because I'm like, God damn, I don't know how much, you know. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Bro, exactly. Bro, like, what if they die before, right. you know. You, you or can't, just like you can't s- predict life. Just something happens. Yeah, you can't predict life. And it's like, you got to have patience to be a director. You mm-hmm. really do. If you want to get the movies made the way you want them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, the cast of this, <laughs> the cast of this is fucking stacked. Yeah, it is. Even way more stacked than what Barbie was. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I could. I tried writing down as much as I could. So obviously we got we got Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer, Matt Damon as Leslie Groves, Emily Blunt as Catherine quotations Kitty Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. uh, R.D.J. Louis Strauss, Florence Pugh, Gene Tadlock, uh, Josh Hartnett, Ernest Lawrence, Casey Affleck as Boris Posh, Remy Malek as David L. Hill. Uh, Benny Safdie, Edward Teller, Tom Conti, who plays Albert Einstein. Mm. You know, you got Jack Quaid in it. You got Josh Peck yeah. in it. Like yeah. the list just goes on and on. And I think that's one thing about this movie. It does kind of get confusing who is who. Yeah, no, this movie is definitely going to be one that requires a rewatch. And right. also, I personally want to look into the history a little bit more before I go back and rewatch it. So maybe like I yes. understand some of those politics and yeah. whatnot that uh-huh. was going on. Because yeah. that was the one thing that was definitely hard to pick up. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot going on, and for a three hour movie, it is cut very fast. Like, mm-hmm. it, and but I like that though because you know for a three hour movie, it can feel very easy for the movie to feel dragged on. But with the way this was edited and the way it was cut, you know, cutting back and forth between certain scenes, I feel like it kept a lot of energy in the movie. Yeah, and you know, kept me on the edge of my seat. But also, funny thing about Matt Damon as well is he was actually on a break from acting that he agreed with um, with his wife in couples therapy he said the one rule though that would have that promise go on hold is if Christopher Nolan calls <laughs> oh my god dude and the rest is history that's so awesome <laughs> cuz uh yeah you don't get too many calls like that uh uh-uh. um he was in interstellar as we know but yeah you don't get too many calls from Christopher Nolan so Mm-mm. I guess that would be uh, one good rule to uh, keep that promise on a break. Dude, green flag for Matt Damon's wife, honestly. <laughs> green flag right there. And I actually, I really liked Matt Damon in this movie. Me too. He's had a great year too. Mm-hmm. Starring in Air. Yeah. That came out a few months earlier. I love that movie. I think a lot of these older actors are having a great back half of their career. Yeah. You know, with Matt Damon, uh, with Brad Pitt. I know he's not in this movie, but like, for example, Brad Pitt, I think he's had a great last like four years between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Um, Babylon, uh, Bullet Train. Give me something else. I know there's something Ah. else. Mm. There might be something else. I don't know. Maybe. But you're not wrong, though. Yes. Definitely killing it in the back half of his career. He has. Robert Downey Jr. Let's talk about him. Yeah. So he plays Louis Strauss and... Yeah, he's an antagonist in this movie. Yeah, no, and wasn't expecting that either. Uh Uh-uh, and god damn, it just felt so good to see, because obviously he's an amazing actor. Yeah. And it's just, it was great to see him outside of a Marvel comic book movie. Yeah. And I'm not complaining about the time that we got of him as Tony Stark. Yeah, no, but he is is Tony Stark. He is Tony Stark, and he was able to show off amazing, his amazing skills in, in those movies. But once that was over with, you know, he was in movies like, was it like Dr. Doolittle or something? It's just, you know, something not stupid. Yeah, yeah, something stupid. Not very good movies. Um, so it just felt really good to see him in a film like this. 
and, yeah, and uh, especially play a role that we're not used to seeing him right as. like he's yeah. he's always the protagonist yeah it feels like he's always a good guy yeah and uh i could definitely see a supporting actor nomination coming his way and possibly a win possibly possibly a win you know there's still a lot depends of depends what his competition is yeah, yeah. you know but but as of now you got emily blunt who was amazing well, she's mm-hmm. always great though yeah her second go around with Kelly Murphy as they were both in A Quiet Place Part 2. I almost forget about that movie because it came in during the time. I think it came out during the pandemic. Yeah. I think I we went and saw it in theaters, but... I didn't see it. You didn't see it? No. Not many people saw it in theaters, but that's because of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they were good together. And that's the other thing, too, about when you get a lineup this stacked, sometimes it could be worrisome. And if there's too many stars in a film kind of like, well, I don't know if that's going to be too distracting. I don't yeah. know how well chemistry is going to mesh together with this many, you know, alpha stars in the room or whatever. Mm. People that are used to being that lead. Right. Right. But here's the thing. Like when you have a director like Christopher Nolan, I was, people, I was just about to say that. Yeah. No, yeah. When you have somebody like Christopher Nolan, um, he just kind of takes over. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody's the star. Right. Christopher Nolan is the right. star. And, and, and you're lucky enough to be in his right. film. And they're willing to do whatever it takes just to work and collaborate with his work and all these other yeah. actors that they usually don't get to work with. Because they know his vision is amazing. Right. And it's going to come out good if you do what he says. Exactly. So and when you have somebody who's yeah. able to take that strong leadership position mm-hmm. when you're making a movie like this, I think that's when it comes out beautifully. And it shows because Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt, and Matt Damon took pay cuts. So they usually make 10 to 20 million per movie, mm. and they each made 4 million for Oppenheimer. Obviously, to people like us, it's a shit ton of money still. Yeah. But like, that's how you make great films without these $250 million, $300 million budget like Indiana Jones, and then they lose money. Yeah. Is you have these actors too that are willing to take pay cuts because they're working with such amazing artists. Yeah. And, at the end of the day, when you put out a great result, it could end up being better for you down the road, uh, even though you took a pay cut. Mm-hmm. And like, and you say you say pay cut, but I'm like, man, right. it's I mean- like <laughs> if you're not even if you're not even like the star, then uh-huh. what are you getting paid like twenty million for? You know what well, I mean? Like, I mean, I get some people have like their bare minimum. You could argue for this movie, RDJ could have made like fifteen million. No, you're he's in, a big part. You're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, he is a big part, but again, like not the star. So I feel like it's gotta right. gotta go off of that. But I mean, yeah, with a cast like this stacked, obviously there's gonna be pay cuts. But like I said, they're willing to do it. No, I think yeah, I think that's more like you know, I think that's more like Christopher Nolan gives them a gives them the call. Yeah. Um. Do you want? And it's like here's the salary. Do you want to be a part of it? Yeah. Because I can't go any higher. If I'm going to make a profit on this movie, mm-hmm. but so many people disrespect him that they're willing to go. It's funny you said phone call too, because I was watching an interview. There is no text when it comes to Christopher Nolan. Yeah. It is a phone call. He will fly to LA or you come to him, whatever it is, meet in person. He will give you a printed out script uh, with black ink on red paper, which Matt Damon said he had never seen before. And for Oppenheimer, it was actually the script was written in first person, which usually Matt Damon said that was the first that he's seen as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's no, there's no digital copy script, PDF sent. Dude, you that come man get the real fucking thing. Hates technology. <laughs> you come get the real thing, man. 
But, uh, you know, that's funny. I feel like that's how you don't lose an art form, though, is you keep it, you know. Yeah, no, I go what you yeah, say. You know what I mean? There's there's something special about it for there sure. There is, there is. Another huge part of Christopher Nolan movies is the score, mm-hmm. the music. Now, I was upset when, you know, once again, Hans Zimmer wasn't going to be his right-hand man for the score. That's yeah. his go-to guy. But when I found out it was Ludwig. Yeah, you weren't mad, were you? I wasn't mad. He did the uh, previous score for Tenet as well, and I know people enjoyed that score, but Ludwig did his fucking thing with Dude, this score, man. It was so good. He Obviously, we, we've been a fan of him for years now. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's done the Creed movies, uh, Black Panther, Mandalorian. Yeah. So, yeah, he's been putting out bangers for years. Making quite a name for himself, yes. for sure. But, yeah. This score, he put his fucking back into this shit. It was so good, dude. It was. Like, honestly. Oh, my God. Like, talk about just, like, creating intensity with music. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. I, That's why I'm saying, like, music can make a film, bro. It and, does. Oh, my God. It, it does. Just, like, dude, half the shit that we saw, like, wouldn't have the same kind of no. impact without the score. Because a lot of this movie are intimate shots mm-hmm. with an IMAX camera that we usually don't get you know those intimate shots for with IMAX camera usually it's for like a grand shot or an action scene um but you know there's a lot of scenes where we really are just focused on the facial expressions of the actors and that's where this music comes into play and really like hones in with these with these characters emotions and everything and that's why it's such an important part of a movie it really just ties in with the characters themselves and what they're going through what we feel and like speaking of sounds and everything, making a movie though, mm. not only did the music make this movie, but the j- sound just design, the sound effects, man, yeah. the sound effects. And funny enough, like when they were doing the Trinity test, yeah, and they were and trying that bomb for the first time, the atomic bomb, yeah. Ironically, that was the the si- most silent part Yo. of the whole <laughs> movie. I was I was just waiting for the boom. It was a delayed. And, it was a delayed b- go up uh-huh. bomb sound. Yeah. Well, well, the sound had to travel there. Sound had to travel there, but it also just like gave you time to really look at yeah. What Honestly, was being I, created. I, yeah, no, I liked I liked it that was. part too. You got to appreciate uh-huh. the you got to appreciate the spectacle. Yep, and then you got to appreciate the sound of it. Yeah, I was waiting for that sound too. It took mm-hmm. a minute, but holy shit, did it erupt the theater? I feel like it happened a lot. Like just the theater would just get so loud during some scenes, and you would just feel it down your back uh-huh uh and then other times it was just dead silent i know i know it was crazy god that trinity test scene alone that was cool that was that's what i'm saying bro and like, there was so much build up so much build up yeah like this three hour movie somehow you know about a biopic historical event just still somehow had so much build up even though we knew the test was going to be a success yeah oh my god there was just so much fucking build up so many things that could have went wrong. So many yeah. things that they could have not figured out. Mm-hmm. And you're, dude, honestly, like he did, he literally made you wonder, like, are they going to pull this off? Right. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I thought there was a lot of good running themes and like callbacks throughout the movie. Like, uh, one mm-hmm. phrase that he caught, he kept repeating, uh, was theory can only take you so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I yep. like that one. Um, they were talking about how the experiment could possibly destroy the world and start that, a chain reaction. Yep. And, yep. And then that comes back towards the end of the movie, really leaves you thinking, like, (laughs) bro, what they were showing with all those nuclear weapons Mm -hmm. and with that music. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Dude, that made me, like, terrified that that's the world we live in. Right. 
No, it's a terrifying movie. Oh god. Um, that ending was a great ending. Oh, that might be up there for one of the best endings to a Christopher Nolan movies. I don't know. Do you have Do you have a favorite ending for a Christopher Nolan movie? Favorite ending for a yeah. Christopher Nolan movie is definitely up there. Like I was, like I obviously want to lean to like the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. But see, that one didn't even get the ending it deserved because 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 uh, Heath Ledger died. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That wasn't his intended ending. That was a great ending though. That monologue with no, Gary Oldman did. It, it was still good. It was great. Um, obviously there's the Inception ending. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Interstellar ending. That's. Interstellar ending is like weirdly one of his like happiest. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But that's the thing about Christopher Nolan movies too is I feel like the ending always leaves room for discussion among other viewers. Mm -hmm. Like what exactly went down? Right. Like what are your thoughts? What are your opinions on this ending? Speaking of like, you know, opinions and thoughts about the endings is is that's was kind of the idea between the color in the film and the black and white scenes. So the color scenes were meant to be subjective. And the black and white scenes were meant to be objective. Are there any actors in here that kind of redeem themselves from maybe of how you thought of them from previous movies? Redeem themselves? Yeah, or maybe like, you know, they're shown in a new light to you. Obviously, you have somebody in mind. There's a few. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you two on that one. I got Dane DeHaan, who was uh, Kenneth Nichols. And Casey Affleck, uh-huh. who played well, Boris Posh. Uh, I wasn't thinking more Casey Affleck, but yeah. I was thinking Dane DeHaan. Yeah, yes, yeah. Who played Green who played Goblin? Green Goblin. Uh-huh. Yes. No, this was definitely a redeeming role for him, and I'm so glad I got to see him in something else that wasn't a horribly written movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude who played Diary of a Wimpy. Uh, yeah, in Diary- Roderick. Roderick. Yeah, in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. He was yeah. in it, and Josh Peck was in there. Josh Peck. I'm glad he didn't have too many speaking lines. He still has a very high pitched voice. Yeah, he does. He, right? Like it's the same. It's the same as when he when he was of, in like a high school. Yeah, yeah, when he was in Drake and Josh, uh-huh. it still kind of sounds the same. But he was the one who pressed the button for that bomb, baby. He was. <laughs> How did he land that role? I don't How know. How did he land that role? I don't know. You know? Don't know. Um, Benny Safdie was in the movie as well, which uh, he's also a director. Um, he directed uh, Good Time with um, Robert Pattinson. He's one of the Safdie brothers who directed Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's been acting more as well. He was in Licorice, uh, a movie that came out in like 2021, I believe. There were some random ass casting choices, but everyone was on their A game. Yeah. And a lot of that might be in part because the cast pretty much lived with each other while they were filming this. Believe it or not, this was filmed in 57 days. And they all stayed in, on like a campsite in New Mexico. Honestly, that was probably the most cost-effective way to do this, right? And they all they all ate together in like a cafeteria and everything. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, if you're gonna film a movie like this and yeah. you're in the middle of fucking nowhere, yeah, you can't have people drive to set every day. No, you can't build the town, dude. That exactly they, they, did. they did what they did in the movie. Right. They built yeah. the town. Yeah. No, that definitely seems like the best way to do it. I mm-hmm. mean, that seems like a way to. Really have you know the actors grow chemistry with each other too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, that could also go the other way, bro. People you're right. get pissed off with each other, you're right? But hey, maybe that'll be good for the movie too. Yeah, because what if it's an antagonist protagonist? They're fucking buttheads. Yeah, they got some real some real heat going on there. But crazy thing that this movie was filmed in 57 days. That's really not that much for a movie this grand and this long. Yeah. Damn, son. So when I first went into this movie, um, I was definitely. 
To be honest, I didn't Hold know on. too much about it. No, I yeah, going into this movie, I didn't know too much. I knew it was about, you know, father of the atomic bomb, mm-hmm. the creation of it and yeah. all that. I didn't think, and I know the movie, now that you told me, like, I know that it's based on the biography right. of Oppenheimer, but I wasn't expecting it to be so personal. Yeah. Like, a lot oh of this covered, God. like, his interpersonal relationships and everything. Did I even say Florence Pugh in the cast when I was going over it earlier? No, you didn't. Oh, my God. Yeah, Florence Pugh, dude. Yeah, what the fuck? I had, I know I had that written down. I must have just gazed over it, because, yeah, she was another big part. Mm-hmm. And we get to see her tits. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Sorry, acting like a little kid, but, I mean, come on. You know, wait, th- this wasn't her first time doing that, was it? No, I think she's done it in different movies. In what? I don't know, but I swear to God, I swear I've like heard of something where. I don't know. You know what? Funny enough, Oppenheimer does not have CGI until it's being shown over in like the Middle East. Uh-huh. They're putting, they put a CGI over Florence Pugh during the nude sex scenes. What? The only, the only way Christopher Nolan will ever have CGI in his movie out of his control. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, in the uh, sex scenes, and they're showing that. what are they? What they like cover it with like a corset? It was or like something? a black CGI dress. Oh my god! Uh huh. Crazy. That's the only time Christopher Nolan will have CGI in his movies. Um, uh, but yeah, Florence Pugh is great too. But I mean, I didn't realize like how many ties with the communist communist party um, mm-hmm. Oppenheimer actually had, and yeah. why his status as you know high regarded scientist was yeah. like such a controversial yeah like why it was such a controversial thing yeah or why it was such a big deal right is because of the political aspect of yeah it. and yeah like you said there was a lot of politics in this yeah and god rdj held a grudge for getting embarrassed i know right my god dude he like <laughs> orchestrated this whole thing behind yeah. the scenes to just totally fuck him over uh-huh. no it it went over a lot of the political uh, aspects into what went into making the atomic bomb that i had honestly no idea of I did like how they did the storytelling, though, because like it, he was getting like interviewed about his life the, throughout the entire movie. And the entire thing was almost flashbacks just showing you what happened. Mm-hmm. I kind I liked I liked the way that they did that. Yeah, I can see where some people like it would probably be confusing, but I, I did like the way it was it was edited. And yeah, Oppenheimer was a little man whore. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Which we come to realize one scene, too, that was amazing was um when they completed the testing as a success and uh he goes into like that little gymnasium mm-hmm. and, and that sound we've been hearing throughout the movie that loud build-up sound banging, yeah. it was the bang the banging it was the feet stomping on the floor for oppenheimer yeah. and he has to give that speech and he's just no, like that wasn't after the test that was after oh hiroshima shit. right you're right yeah it was after hiroshima yeah oh yeah and everyone's like cheering happy and some people sad and he's like but he's got to give this speech to kind of defend what they created with this Mm -hmm. atomic bomb Nah, he was like he was like mr america in that moment Uh uh-huh but that dude was going through some turmoil yeah yeah you could obviously see it as those shots were great and like oh my god that effect where the room was just getting so bright like yeah. the nuke was going off yeah and like everything was shaking uh-huh and, and like some, um, some and one it, woman's skin was peeling off peeling off and uh-huh. as he was walking by he saw the husk of a body yeah yeah he steps in it mm-hmm. uh-huh yeah so that was a pretty wild scene now that was probably my favorite scene in that the was movie. your favorite scene yeah okay as far as like effects and everything right that was probably my favorite. yeah that was really good and another thing that kind of came into tie later like you were saying with some callbacks 
was um he was trying to convince other scientists to work on this Manhattan Project with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was like, you know, they need us. America needs us. And then one scientist was like, yeah, until they don't. And you kind of see that for a little bit when the when the bomb goes off uh, that first, you know, Hiroshima and, um, you know, he's not really getting calls or updates about it. You know, he asks uh, Matt Damon's character, um, Leslie Groves, if he should come to Washington because he's like, well, you know, now do I now what do I do? Yeah. You know, it's over with. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of callbacks. But yeah, no, honestly, that line definitely did like stick out to me where mm-hmm. he's like, until they don't, because yeah. that made, that was like really scary because if you were somebody who was on this project uh-huh. and you knew all about it uh-huh. and then the second they don't need you, uh-huh. now you're a loose end. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we saw those other scientists who worked on the project. Some of them ended up being like railroad men and yeah, they, they were like basically blackballed, but in right. their own industry. Uh huh. Yeah. Crazy. And I think a lot of that also had to do with like their, you know, past uh, yeah, affiliations yeah. with political parties yes. and stuff like that. Because then it became then it became a race yeah. in the Cold War um, uh-huh. of, you know, developing new technology. Yeah. If you had any affiliation with communists, you're out. Yeah. So I want to bring up another thing, too. Obviously, every aspect of this movie was going to be great. But one thing that I wasn't expecting to be as amazing as it was, was the fucking uh, the makeup. So yeah, Gary yeah. Oldman played President Truman. I didn't even know it was him. Didn't even recognize until him. we looked it up afterwards. Yeah, like holy shit, that was good makeup. And then when it showed when the years passed and uh-huh. uh, Killian Murphy, you know Oppenheimer and his wife and all these other scientists aged as well. The aging was so good. The makeup was amazing, and I this is easily going to get an a nomina- Oscar nomination for makeup. No, I saw honestly like we saw him in the beginning yeah. in that interview room, uh-huh. and I was like. Is he that old? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. And then I mean, yeah, it did show a lot of years of progression, like age wise uh-huh. on him. Dude, it even like made him they even he even like convincingly looked like he was a teenager almost. Or uh, like early twenties. Early twenties, yeah. Yeah, early twenties yeah. when he was in college. Well, I was yeah. like, dude, he was he like looks like a young man. Yeah, he does. He does. No, the makeup was fucking great in this movie. And yeah, that Gary Oldman is Truman just caught me by surprise when we looked it up afterwards. I was like, mm-hmm. no fucking way. Like, goddamn. And that was that was a cold ass line too, because that happened as well. Um, after uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, Oppenheimer was invited to the White House. Yeah, went into the Oval Office, and Truman was like, got upset with him and basically kicked him out. Yeah, was like, don't bring that crybaby back in here, because Oppenheimer was like, I feel like I have blood on my hands, and uh, Truman was like, at least in the movie, <laughs> he was like, I think people give a damn about who made the bomb. Yeah, they care about who dropped it. That was me. <laughs> Oppenheimer had every right to feel guilty. I know, I know. Like, obviously, yes. Yeah. This all, all, basically, you know, a big theme of this movie is guilt. And obviously, no. And I, honestly, the, it showed how out of touch Truman was. Because obviously he was wrong. People did care about who made the bomb. Yeah. He was on the cover of Time fucking magazine. Yeah. I would say people care about that. Um, And also, he was expressing his com- concern about the Soviets you know, matching the their creation that they just did. Oh, and he was like, and he was like, he was like, they're not, they're yeah, not going to get there. Yeah. They, like, they're hopeless. They're yeah. never going to do what we just did. And he's like, uh, no, they have a fairly, uh, they have great they, scientists. They, they have great and, scientists. Yeah. They have an advanced, uh, you know, they're, physics program. Right. Well, and, and that's why he was so concerned about Germany getting a bomb before, um, before America was because mm-hmm. that you know he after college he went over to Europe. 
Oppenheimer went over to Europe and studied uh, physics over there as well. And that was one thing he brought up in the movie was like the one thing that's giving us a chance for America to beat Germany in the race for an atomic bomb is anti-Semitism, which Hitler basically said, uh, like what theoretical physics is, is a Jewish thing or something. No, no, he wasn't willing to use pe- Jewish people who were studying it and like oh, were what... and were like, you know, they yeah. were obviously very good yeah, at this yeah. field, but he doesn't want their help. Oh, yeah. Because that would prove that, you know, Jewish people have value to society. Right, like yeah. he doesn't want that. It was kind of crazy because like, yeah, what if what if Germany did get an atomic bomb for America? Like, um, we wouldn't exist and the world would probably be fucked. It would be, yeah, it would, everything happens for a reason, I guess, because yeah. yeah, that would have been fucked. You know, it's kind of interesting. Like, we always I know it doesn't I know it doesn't always happen, but I feel like for the most part, there is some there is like something in the world that like keeps good on top, I guess. Like, and I think that's just like right. I think that's just human nature. It's normal to right. be it's normal to be to to want to do good, I guess. You know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Like I feel like there's more I feel like there's more empathy and um than people give and, credit for and good and good attitude yeah. like in the world than there is like malice and but I feel like that malice uh energy or like bad nature is kind of focused on more though. For sure, yeah. like the no, negativity. It, and honestly, and you, we can't even help it ourselves because your brain, like, yeah. literally remembers bad things more than it remembers good things, right. and that's why sometimes it's so easy to remember the negatives in life compared yeah. to the good things. But I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a lot of events in the world that could have went the other way and would have drastically changed I know. the timeline yeah. of how things played out. So even though even though in this case this was a good ending to you know World War Two, it kind of showed that it's still terrifying. It is, yeah, because then they had that uh, hydrogen bomb that they wanted to make that even had it, it was like what do you mean wanted to or, make? they well, did make it? I mean like at the time, at yeah. the time they wanted to make yeah. it. Yeah, they, they they did end up making it, but it said well, it was like a a thousand times greater radius or something. Dude, like Hiroshima and Nagasaki are nothing. No, compared They're to nothing compared, compared to, to what actually exists now. Yeah, it's crazy. I it's People like could it's destroy like, the world if they like, wanted to. I know, and it's like, why do we even have these things? Like, it's literally just like the threat that we have it. Everybody's too well. Every everybody's too scared to use it. Like he said in the film, they're not gonna be afraid of it until they use it. Yeah. Um. So kind of goes into part of like you're you know all these. Theories and stuff, like I said, theory can only take you so far, you know, and then they actually create it, but they're not going to be afraid of it until they use it, which I mean, I get it, but it's like at the same time. Yeah, like at the time, at the time, a bomb like that had never existed, but yeah, now we have bomb. I feel like we can't even grasp how large the bombs are now. I don't want to. I think it's a sad thing to think about. Um, And I think that was the point of this movie. Right. Is to make you think about it. Yeah, it's not a movie to make you feel good (laughs) it's not a movie to be taken lightly either no but goddamn was it good it was very good what'd you think of albert einstein i liked albert einstein (laughs) so the actor that plays him is the same guy that uh told the story of bane escaping and the dark knight rises and like fixed batman's back yeah yeah it's the same guy yeah he likes he bro he's like um 
Tarantino. He's like, yeah, I was just about to say, he's like Tarantino, man. But he's, he's the same like actor. All directors are like that, to be honest. Like, true. James Gunn is like that. Yeah. As clearly yeah seen. Nah. Even Greta Gerwig likes to use the same lead female and male characters mm-hmm. or actors. So, now nah, you're right. Probably the front runner for best picture so far. Oh, for sure. According to Rotten Tomatoes, critically tied that first place with a 94% is Oppenheimer and then The Dark Knight. Really? Yeah. Dang, I. Honestly, didn't even know The Dark Knight had a 94. I thought it'd be higher. Thought it'd be higher? I thought it'd be higher. Pretty damn high. <laughs> I mean, 94 is good, but damn. I mean, like, you got, you, you, think, got, you got like, right. 99% and 98. Right. Like, bro, like, I feel yeah, like there's, yeah. you there's got movies, definitely a step between, yeah. like, a 94 and a 99. Well, because, like, you got movies like Black Panther at 96%, Yeah, like, 97%. what? That makes no sense to me. Like, come on, Dark Knight's Like, the Dark Knight's a freaking masterpiece, and you're telling me Black Panther's better? Like... I know we wouldn't be able to give a ranking of all 12 of these movies, but could you give me like a top three or a top five? A top three. All right. Give me, give me, I know. I'll just, how about I just start listing his best ones? All right. But let me get your top three Christopher Nolan movies at least. Dark Knight's obviously number one. It's obvious number one? Obvious. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Whatever. (laughs) Um, uh, But next, I'm going to go Oppenheimer. A two. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. I like Oppenheimer, man. Wow. I thought it was I thought it was really good. Oh wait, shit, actually. Yeah. Now you got me thinking. Uh-huh. Um oh wait, no, 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 no. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Oh fuck. Actually, all right, I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna take it back. Okay. Dark Knight, Interstellar, Inception. So you just dropped Oppenheimer out of that top three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a close fourth, but Damn. Dude, it's I I can't let the recency bias know, get me. Okay, you, like Oppenheimer was great, um, but to be honest, like there's a lot of there's a lot of Christopher Nolan movies that I there's or there's a few I mean that I need to give a rewatch. Yeah, to do that ranking properly. But right now, I'll give it to those three. Okay, my top five Christopher Nolan movies would be, and again, as of now, I do need to rewatch some of these. But at five, I'm gonna go The Prestige. Okay, four, I'm gonna go. I'll go Inception. Three, dude, I might go The Dark Knight. What? And that's that's just saying how great his films are, bro. Like this is a favorite of mine. That's clear. Right. It's a masterpiece. Like maybe it's maybe a I got it high because I love quoting that movie. Well, so. right. I mean, this is a movie that we've been quoting since we yeah. were kids. Like, yeah, the fucking great movie. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. If you really want to pick at it, you can go with like you know, pick at the fight choreography and that kind okay. of stuff and all yeah. that. Yeah. Again, it's a masterpiece. I love it. Two. I'll go Oppenheimer. Okay. Go ahead, lay on the recency bias comments if you want. I don't care. <laughs> it just, I think watching it in theaters also just does something to you, man. For sure. Uh, one is Interstellar. That, that's a yeah. clear, that no. one I don't even have to think about. Like, that's my number I, one Christopher Nolan I know movie. You love Interstellar. Yeah. Interstellar, that's number one. Um, and which is crazy because that's one of his lower rated movies. No, critically. That rating it's makes insane. no sense. No Whoever sense. gave those ratings was on something. Like, it makes yeah. no sense. But Interstellar. Fucking amazing. Still my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I still think Interstellar is the best score of all time. Very good. It's so fucking good. All right. So star rating, Blake. What do you what do you give Oppenheimer? Five stars. Five stars. Yeah, five stars. I, I, give, I mean I give five stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once you get to, you know, that top four, Chris like Dark Knight, five stars. Yeah. Uh Inception five. Mm-hmm. Interstellar five. Oppenheimer five. Like yeah. the man don't miss. The man don't miss. Nope. So again, a movie 
that I please, please ask of you to go see in theaters because that yeah. is where you need to see this. That is where you're going to get the best experience possible. I mean, everything about this movie is just each job in this movie is performed by the best person possible. Directing, acting, like sound design, music, all A tier people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to conclude this Barbenheimer journey. <laughs> I mean, what a way to start out with this new studio mm-hmm. and a Barbenheimer journey right here. Barbenheimer review. Uh, so clearly Barbenheimer, or uh, I'm saying Barbenheimer too much now. Clearly Oppenheimer was our favorite of the two. Each has their own target audience, that's for sure. But mm-hmm. I do love to see that everyone's going to see both. Yeah. And it's great to see these movies thrive at the box office. because uh, You got the theaters packed with yeah, very different people right now. Very different, but it's fucking amazing. And I'm just so happy to see, you know, so many people at the theaters that doesn't have to do with a Marvel movie, with a Star Wars movie, you know? This, and, we, and we still got um, Mission Impossible. <laughs> Mission Impossible. To go see. Right? Came out the worst time, to be honest. Right, I know. It's, yeah. pro- it's taken such a hit because of Barbie and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Did great last weekend. Yeah. Not so much this past weekend. Nope. <laughs> so once again, welcome to our new studio. Glad y'all can join us and continue this journey with us. If you're listening to us on podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, thank you as always for sticking around and make sure to give us a rating and review. Always love seeing y'all's reviews in the podcast. As always, make sure to give us a follow on TikTok, Instagram. Uh, hopefully we will be streaming again sometime soon. Still working out the logistics of, you know, the studio and streaming and all that. But hopefully we can get that rolling um, soon. And make sure to give me a follow on Letterboxd as well, where you can see my ratings and reviews as soon as I watch them. Well, it's good to be back, Garrett. Yeah, it is. Feels good to record again. Feels good to be sitting down while recording. Yeah, you damn right. <laughs> and uh, my legs are a lot less tired. Yeah, we're gonna start pumping out some content for y'all. That's for damn sure. For sure. All right, everyone. Thank you. Y'all have a lovely night. I kind of forgot how to do our outro. It's been so long. <laughs> um, I'm your host Blake. As always, with me my co-host Garrett, and we'll see you guys next time on Blake Stakes. See you guys. There we go. <laughs>